This is the Sexual Alchemy Podcast for men who want to discover and embrace profound confidence, intimacy, pleasure, and connection. I'm Rebecca Lowry, and I invite you to explore who you really are as a confident, sexual, and sensual man. Whether you're dealing with specific sexual issues or you just know there's more to it than you've experienced so far, this is a safe space for you to learn, grow, and expand your erotic potential and possibilities. Hello, and welcome to the Sexual Alchemy Podcast. On today's podcast, I have the very lovely Martin Jenner. Martin and I worked together off and on for about 18 months, several years ago, and um, it was my absolute delight that he said he would come on the podcast and tell his story, his journey. As he says, his story is one from logic to love, and he has been gracious and generous enough to come and share that story with you today. So have a listen and let me know what you think. Martin, welcome to the Sexual Alchemy Podcast. I am so excited to talk to you today. Hello, Rebecca. I'm really glad to be here. (laughs) We're waving at each other, but no one can see that. (laughs) So I could introduce you. I did introduce you, but tell us a little bit about yourself. How did we get to know each other? Introduce yourself and we'll go from there. Okay. So I'm Martin. I first met Rebecca on the 23rd of May, 2010. And that's how important that day it was for me. Uh, I can remember exactly the day it was about three o'clock in the afternoon, if I'm right. I was the archetypal nerd. I took a computing degree back in 1978 when we were still using punch cards. My God. Uh, (laughs) And yeah, I buried myself in computers because I didn't believe myself lovable or I didn't even believe that love existed. I thought it was a way of selling chocolates. So I never had a relationship. I never had connections with somebody that was sexual at all, or even sensuous. I had mates at work, and I had family, and that was it. And I tried to be the archetypal Vulcan, that that emotions for human beings uh, are negative, that logic is everything. So let's, let's just use logic to get through life. For some of the time while work was fulfilling, that was okay. That was all right, but only all right. And then it started not to be, and there wasn't enough. And it looked like life was quite dark and only going to get darker. And so something had to change. How old were you? Um, I would have been, but the, the time when it all changed was 50. Because my family threw me a 50th birthday party. And I was far from being happy. Mm. Long way from being happy. It was like a break date, 50. Yeah, I came back to my 50th birthday. It was like, I've got to find something else in life here. Mm. And how did you figure out that what that thing was that you needed to find was the work we did together? Because obviously you could have... I don't know, bought a motorcycle or gone to live on a beach or, you know what I mean? There's so many things that people do at that breaking point. Mm-hmm. Why was it this work? So I thought that the thing that would change me was sex. Mm. 
So I was looking for somebody to have sex with. And I was trawling the internet looking for somebody that would I could have sex with, even to pay for it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know I was looking for this work at all. I didn't know this work existed. Right. And then one link or another led me to your site. And from that moment, I didn't have any choice. It was just, this is what you're going to do. This is what you have to do. It was just, yeah, there was no choice at all. Would you say like your intuition kicked in or something? Intuition kicked in. It was like, this is it. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. So it was the the website, the words you used and the initial communications we had. It was just, this is right. It's not about something physical. It's about something emotional. And internal as well. Very much internal. It's like I needed to get back to parts of me that had shut down at about the age of seven. Hmm. And I didn't know this then, but I I found it later on. It was like there were parts of me that were shut, that were crying out to be heard. Hmm. You know, I know there's a lot of um, dream people who interpret dreams. They say that when you dream about a house, the house is you. And it's like in that model, you had retracted into one room. You are a mansion, you know, an absolutely unbelievable, unlimited mansion, but you had moved into one small closet and thought you were the closet. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And up to then, so you hadn't been sexual up to then, so that's why that seemed like the answer. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an interesting one too, because it's that's also I think intuitive, isn't it? There's like a there's a some sort of natural drive there that you had suppressed that came out with maybe it's this. Yeah, yeah. I had so much shame connected with the fact that I hadn't been sexual, mm. and probably so much grief as well. But I didn't I didn't know it because it was all blocked off. It was all the doors were slammed on it. Yeah. Mm. Which brings me to you know I, I want to talk about that the early days of our work in a minute, but um, as you know, the, the whole journey, because you've, you've done this sort of work off and on for years, you know, we did work off and on for years, you did some group work, we'll come to that later, um, but the work, it's like it's so liberating and beautiful, but it, it can be painful and devastating at times too, because it, it, it's that you have to go through those parts to get to the beautiful, right? Absolutely. Uh, more than one stage I've got to say it was terrifying Mm. but there was still a part of me that went this has got to happen and there was one particular moment I'm reminded of when and it was doing group work and people said things that my image of me couldn't accept Mm. that I was lovable that that I was lovable that I was a great man that I was a lovely man and I couldn't accept, my image of me didn't accept those things, that I was none of those things in my image of me. So at that precise moment, I had a choice that I could live with the old image of me that was unlovable, that I was now, yeah, fearing that what the future would be, or I could accept what they said and, and let go of that image of me. So... It's the closest I've ever I've ever come to what experiencing what people would call an ego death. A what death? An ego. Oh, death. An ego death. Yes, yes. Because that image of me, who I was, that logical person who didn't need emotion, who was, yeah, that whole I don't need communication, I don't need any of that. 
that image shattered mm. and it's never come back. And instead, the image I've I've accepted is the one of a being a lovable, loving, gorgeous man. I'm so happy that you have. <laughs> and I know I say this to you often when we talk, but it's like if if you, anyone had said that to you at the very beginning of your journey, you know, as I said, that's nonsense. That's rubbish. Yeah. That can't happen to me, and it did. And it's remained yes. all these years later because I I regard myself as the most fortunate man on the planet now. Wow. Because of so who I am, who I love me, mm. as well as other people loving me. Mm. And let's come to that. Um, let's go back, if you don't mind, to the beginning. So you you saw the website, you thought, uh-oh, this is it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I don't know if there's anything you want to say about the process of getting to me, but I do remember our first session. <laughs> I do. There was a trigger moment as well, and it was my best mate died. Oh, that's right. You did tell me that. So kind of after your 50th birthday, as you were searching. Yeah, my best mate died. And it was one of those moments when, so so it was like an anchor into reality for me. It was was him and one or two members of the family. And it was like, oh, shit, the anchor's gone. So where am I going to go? And it felt like I was going to descend into some dark, cold, horrible tunnel uh, with who knows how. And it was like... I can't do this. And that's when I I, I think I, I contacted you and it was like Ian was kicking me up the bum for the whole time. This is what you're doing. You've got to do this. Or poking me in the back and going, you're seeing her. You've got to see her. And so the whole time when first contacting you and booking a session and getting in the car and driving there, I could have found a hundred or a thousand different ways of going, I can't make it and cancelling. And that would have been the logical thing to do because <laughs> yes. what I was walking into was just not logical. However, there really wasn't any choice at that stage. This was what I was going to have to do. And even from parking the car and walking up to your doorstep and ringing the bell, I could have found a dozen, another dozen ways of walking away. That might have been the logical thing to do, but it wasn't the human thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, I, I hadn't put two and two together before. You had told me that your mate had passed away, but I, I guess, you know, although you had suppressed romantic connection and sexual connection, you still had connection with him. Yeah. And so then when he passed away, that, like you said, that was your anchor. That was your, your deep connection to a human, which we all need. Yeah. So he was like, yeah, no, I'm going to kick you up the butt, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Aren't you grateful now? <laughs> Oh, <laughs> incredibly grateful though. I'm grateful every day. It's a beautiful gift from him. I remember opening the door to you and you were wearing all black. You had on black trousers and a black button-down type shirt. And I don't know if my mind's making this up, but were you wearing a hat? It doesn't seem to me no. like you would have been wearing a hat then. No. But I, I remember that we sat down on the sofa and you were shaking, which isn't unusual actually for people coming to see me for the first time. <laughs> not unusual. And we chatted and, you know, I always trust my intuition. Yeah. Once we chat for a bit, my intuition kicks in and says, yeah, I think we need to take this direction or that direction. And the thing that kept coming for us to start with, with you was such a um, drop in at the deep end (laughs) that I, you know, kept checking in with myself. Really? Are you sure? Like what? But because I always trust my intuition, I presented it to you. And my memory is that you said, yes. <laughs> Correct. 
Well, there was something earlier than that. Oh, right at the door, right at the door when I walked up the stairs and you gave me a hug. And that was the first hug I've probably ever received because I, my family didn't touch. Mm. I hope I asked you if you wanted a hug. <laughs> you did. You did. And it melts my heart, I think, because it was the first real human touch I'd had in a very, very, very long while. Gosh. That touch, that human touch is quite phenomenal. Yeah. Wow. I love that for you, that was the beginning. It was gorgeous. It was beautiful. It was warming. It was, it was heart opening. It wasn't, it was all those things that I think we secretly long for, maybe don't even admit to ourselves we long for. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I say often that those things that we long for that are so innate within us, we also fear because we have to be vulnerable and present and open and yeah. it's a risk. It's always a risk, yeah. but it's always a risk worth taking. Yeah. I've done this sort of thing to, to people I've met at workshops and group space and given them a hug at the end with consent, of course. Mm-hmm. And later on, I've heard people go say, that changed my life, that hug. And it's like, really? It was a hug. And the, and but you know, no, there, was, there was a man who I met at the workshop again. It's like, you have no idea what that hug meant to me. Like, wow, okay. So all the other work we did that was deep and changing, that hug was the start. Amazing. And and you're passing it on. Yeah. Yeah. There's something really um I don't even have a word. I can't find a word for it. Deeply meaningful to me in that and magical because, you know, I, if, if all the other work didn't come through me, I, I would hug people for a living, you know, like, because I often hear someone say, I haven't been hugged in a decade. I haven't been touched in a decade. You know, I live on my own. We don't touch at work, you know, isn't a thing. I don't have any family. My friends don't touch, you know, it's, it's, I think there's a, um, a drought of touch and certainly a drought of platonic loving touch yes in our world yeah Yeah. wow should we talk about the thing that we did at the beginning or should we just keep let's talk about that (laughs) so towards the end of our session when we'd had a chat when we talked quite a lot about me really i saw you sit and consider what you were going to say next and it wasn't that far from when i was going to need to head off again from, our, from this very first session. And you suggested that we take our clothes off. In a ritual way. In a ritual way. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yes, in a ritual way. And I'd never been naked with a woman before, or anyone before. Mm. And it was yes. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. <laughs> <laughs> and we did, I remember kind of standing at the foot of that futon I had on the floor and I don't remember if we undressed ourselves or each other, but I remember it being very touching because there's just something. It's really hard to understand unless you're in the experience. I think sometimes hearing about the experience obviously isn't the same as having the experience and no one, even if they, even if they are in the same place that you were then their feelings about it and it's meaning to them won't be the same as yours. But in that moment, it seemed like, first of all, my sessions are usually um, experiential and interactive, but we, we needed to find our way in. And that was day one. And it felt like 
the way to open the door for your ongoing evolving was to start with step one. You know, we could have done some form of touch over the clothes and we, you know, there's a lot of things, but my intuition said, we just need to be able to look at each other and be looked at mm-hmm. without yeah. shame and without fear and without, and without there also being a um, an expectation of something has to happen now, or you have to perform and, you know, all that stuff that gets mm-hmm. mixed up in nakedness. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I totally agree with the most beautiful, soft, gentle, loving moment. Not a moment I would have anticipated or expected if somebody had suggested doing that. Mm. It was the most gorgeous, tender is the other word, Mm. moment. And to just be naked and know you could see me and I could see you. and And yes, there was no judgment. There was no shame in that moment. It was gorgeous and beautiful and life-changing yeah you know I know we did a lot of work obviously in the years after that but I often thought and now I'm gonna have to readjust my thinking to the to the hug but I often thought that moment just in itself like even if that's all we had ever done and you'd gone out into the world there would have been a seed planted of change of what was possible for you I totally agree absolutely that one session and that one moment it changed life and the rest, the other things changed as well, but that was the, I think you said once that was like setting light to a rocket and seeing it go off. That was the moment to take off. Mm. And you can't, you can't get anywhere else unless you take the first step. Yeah. And, and I, I can see how it would be utterly terrifying and not logical, <laughs> Yeah, but also the most logical thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> weird way. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and hats off to you because, you know, you stepped up. Yeah. Could have said, no, I don't want to do that today, which would have been fine. You know, we would have mm-hmm. got there one day. This is your story. And it happened to go that way. And it was awesome. It was awesome. Yeah. And considering my memory is, you know, everything that happened pre this morning all kind of goes together. <laughs> that, that, you know that day that session stands out really tells you how impactful it was even for me so mm-hmm. thank you yeah well life 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 it's impossible that life could ever return to what it was after that moment after that one moment it could not go back i couldn't get back in the box no no the door was blown open then <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your journey after that so we started working together yep and it wasn't all unicorns and rainbows. No, it wasn't was all some. unicorns and rainbows. There were terrifying moments. There were horrible moments. There were moments, I think, when I suggested I would be chained to your radiator because I didn't want to leave. <laughs> I would chain myself to your radiator because, because I didn't want to leave because there were times when ending the session was sad, really sad. Um. And some of the more, some of the more scary moments were then then starting to bring it with other people, starting to do workshops or, or group space, that sort of thing, um, and then starting to work with other people. Uh, right, because you? after a while you become it's like I can only ever be one mirror and give you one perspective. You know, my perspective's broad, but I'm still just one person. And I think after a while, 
Am I right in thinking you were like, well, I'm just telling you that because that's what I would do in that, you know, like there was almost like it was too good to be true. It was mistrustful. It's like, now it's time for group work, my love. Now you have to go and have a bunch of mirrors reflect back to you who you are. Because after a while, it's hard for just one practitioner to be believed. We can wake you up out of the dream of you're not lovable. I really, really still am an advocate for um, group work and individual work going together. Yeah. Yeah. I went to a festival and it was a nightmare. There were things going on that I found were, were scary. And that was because of the position I was in, not because necessarily they were doing. And I had to leave. But what I didn't do was to draw a line and go, that's it, I'm not doing that. It was scary, but I came back to see you and worked out why it was scary, put it away. But then I did a different sort of group work. It was quite intensive. But the thing that utterly changed my life was I ended up sitting in a circle of women and they were asked by the person running the workshop to say, well, I was actually asked to ask questions and I couldn't come up with a question to ask them. And the the person running the workshop suggested that I ask, what do they see in me? Okay, so I did. I asked them, what do they see in me? And they told me all the things I didn't believe about me. They told me they saw a lovable man, a loving man, a good man, all those things, a man who could have been a great dad. And that moment, I could have chosen to believe they were telling me only what I wanted to hear. But the thing about the group workshop is that people are usually told that you can only say the truth, what you actually experience. You don't tell people what you think they might want to hear. And I and I'd got to the stage with these people that I knew they this they would only do that. Right. So I knew these things were what they really saw. And at that moment, I could choose to be the old me, the logical me, the one that doesn't believe I'm lovable or loving. Or I could choose this me that everybody else saw. And so I chose the second, of course. And that afternoon was terrible because that image of me was disappearing. Right. That bit of me that I'd lived in for years and years and years was gone. So I wasn't me anymore, in a way. Right. But now I know I'm all those things. I'm a lovable man. I'm a loving man. I'm a great man. It's, yeah. I may not be a dad, but I'm a great granddad. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's interesting, too, what you say that was a pivotal moment where you had to choose to keep your old view of yourself alive or let it go and believe these people that you'd come to trust weren't telling fibs and that you chose to believe them. But the then it wasn't still wasn't all unicorn and rainbows because like you say, there's an ego death. You there's, you know, that which we believe we are has an energetic framework and structure it exists in energetically and in our bodies you know and and physically at times it's it's present and so when it's blasted away you know or when the illusion of it is made obvious it isn't suddenly gone it's like it has to fall away and then you're left going well that's not comfortable and there's no railings to hold on to anymore 
And it does make the world a bit topsy-turvy for a while until you settle into this new understanding. Yes. And I think that piece there is why a lot of people are afraid of the work because they have to let go of who they think they are. Absolutely. I totally agree. Even if it's been uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. it's the devil you know. Yep. This is the devil I can live with. This is the devil I have lived with. I know how to cope. I know how to get on with the day with this person. If I'm going to let go of it, I don't know that anymore. So it's Mm -hmm. uncomfortable. However, it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's wonderful. And the thing that you and I know, having done the work multiple times ourselves, is that the pain of staying in the old is always greater than the turmoil of letting go of the old and becoming the new. And is the death of the old and the birth of the new, it's messy and complicated and confusing, but it's still less painful than staying in the old. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And yes, there were there were times when I went through the process when I really didn't like the people who I was working <laughs> with. I remember sometimes yeah. you showing up like on a Monday after you'd been away on a weekend of, of doing the work and you were mad or angry. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! There was stuff to process. <laughs> yeah. And I still wonder about how, because there were other people, of course, in the group works, but I chose to do the group work and then come and see you shortly afterwards. Yeah. So that settled everything in. We integrated a lot. Yeah. You and I, after I've done this group work and pulled myself apart or done all this stuff, you and I integrated it together. So there was there was work there afterwards yeah. that was deep and healing and meaningful. And it wasn't, it was far from joyful at that time, but it was it was rebuilding me, if you like. Mm. And I'm gonna ask something, it may seem obvious, but I know like you know, a lot of people stay away from the work because of the parts where we go, oh yeah, that part was really hard. Oh, that part was terrifying and all that. Did you kind of know intuitively enough that you were heading in the right direction to stay with it, even when it was difficult? Is that, or what was it that made you stay with it? Even when you were raging, even with you were angry, you know, I mean, that's a natural part of the process, but for in your experience, why stay with it then? Yeah. Yes. My intuition said this is the right path. It felt like if you can imagine a set of stepping stones across a river mm. and it's like every stepping stone was, this is the right step. This is the right step. And there were times when it was like, well, this doesn't feel right. And it wasn't, it wasn't working with you. It was some, some of the other workshops that got introduced mm. or some of the other events that got introduced. And I, walked, and I went to them and it was like, no, this isn't right. So my intuition said, this is tough. This don't walk away from this because this isn't part of your path. And I think, though, that that piece in itself is a big part of the path, which is you're learning discernment and you're learning what is right and wrong for you. And you're learning, you know, it's like in our private sessions, we could explore, you know, does, do you like this touch or that touch, that kind of thing. Whereas in a workshop, you went, you explored a lot of stuff or you, you at least attempted to explore a lot of stuff and a lot of it stuck and some of it didn't, but you don't know until you give it a try. You know, like you intuitively think, I'm going to book this workshop. I'm going to try this thing. When you get there, the knowing of whether you should stay or not is part of the work. Yes. For for me now, I recognize that things like boundaries and consent are super important. And you're very good with both of those. 
And so was the, uh, the, the other group work that I did. She was incredibly good with boundaries and consent. Some of the other events that I went to, they weren't. Right. And that was my intuition at that stage. And it's my knowing now that if a group isn't fully consent, and if it isn't, if, if the boundaries aren't clear up front, it's not something I want to attend. And that was my intuition back then. And it's not just me, my stuff, but everybody else at the group. If the boundaries aren't clear, then it's not safe for them. And I don't want to be in a place where they're unsafe. Right. So right. that was my intuition, particularly. Yeah. Right, pulling me away because there's all sorts of things going on out there. And my intuition said, this is the path for me. Mm-hmm. And this is not the path for me. And everybody's path is not going to be the same. Right. And part of the path is figuring out what yours is and being yeah. able to say the no to the things that aren't. Ah, uh, no. Oh, yes. Mm. No is beautiful. Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I, I have this phrase that I said to somebody who it, it actually made a her cry. Um, the tears of joy, really, which is, if I can't hear your no, then your yes is meaningless. Mm. Someone yeah. give that to me, yeah. If you yeah. can't say no, then your yes is, well, it's all right. But once I say, once I know you can say no, then when you say yes, that's magnificent. Right. And you know <laughs> that their no isn't personal to you. Yep. About them looking after themselves, which is the yep. greatest gift ever. Yep. But Absolutely. it does take learning that. Yeah. It does take learning that. Yeah. So you've had such a magnificent journey. And I know that during that time and maybe later, you were trying all sorts of different things. You assisted me for a little while as a body for some things I was teaching. Yeah. Um, probably loads of things I've forgotten about. And eventually, where did you learn? Where did life take you? What changed for you? What changed for me was that I loved myself. And having loved myself meant that other people could love me too. Mm. Because loving me that's what people really want to see. If I don't love me, then why would anybody else? Mm. And people can see that intuitively. And so what that led me to was forming a relationship, a connection with somebody who's deeply committed to conscious communication and a conscious relationship. And we've been together. This isn't a sexual relationship, but we're best friends, best friends forever. Mm. And so we have a very deep, very, very deep connection. And she's got grandchildren, and now I have. And they are the most gorgeous little ones. So now I have grandchildren. And being with them is is magnificent. I'll give you one little example. The the little five-year-old fell over and banged herself. And normally she would just get up and run off again. But I offered to pick her up and carry her home. And she just collapsed into my arms. It was like, oh. <laughs> she just lay there, just just absorbing this. It's like, this is so innocent mm-hmm. and so beautiful. And I never, I never for a moment anticipated or expected that in my life. Yeah. Imagine if we had told the you that showed up at my front door, hey, listen, do a little bit of this work. It'll be tricky at times, but you're going to be grandfather. 
No, I would have said that this is rubbish. This is nonsense. Yes, some sort of weirdo. Yes. <laughs> you probably told me that a lot, but. <laughs> well, I told you that anyway, probably. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. 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 So you've, so you've got a, a best friend forever that you have a close relationship with and, and grandchildren. Yep. And I also have a lover. And that's. Yeah. And again, it's a, it's a connection which is magical and it's conscious. And what I mean by conscious is there is no hiding. There are no lies. There are no pretenses. There are no's and there are yeses. Uh, yes. And we have a deep connection as well. And my understanding, and, oh, sorry, go ahead. It, it's the most wonderful way to have a connection. Right. But unless I'd done that work and become that sort of person myself, then these people wouldn't have come into my life. Hmm. And and knowing you both, I imagine in the relationship there is a invitation or welcome to bring your full self, to bring your truth, to not hide anything. It, it's not just an invitation; it's essential. Right, right. It, it's absolutely bring all of you. It, it's yes, yes. But I have that with both my connections. Right, right. You've got, yes. And I couldn't have shown up before, but now I can. So, <sighs> it's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and, you know, not nearly as important, but just to give a bit of context, if I'm right, and maybe you, you tell the story better, but in the time that you were doing all this work, you also ended up, I think retiring or changing job and moving city and set like, like it wasn't just that you created amazing relationships. Like what else changed? Yes. My, my job no longer suited me. Mm. My job was with computers and it was corporate at that time. And it no longer worked for me because it was all the corporate stuff that goes on. And that isn't stuff where you can be completely honest and truthful and open. Cheeky. <laughs> Cheeky. Any of that stuff. You can't. It, it, it doesn't happen. So I chose to walk away. And it was a well-paid job. Mm. And if I walked away, I was never going to get that well-paid job again. It's a huge decision. Yeah. I walked away because it wasn't going to suit. Did you ever regret that? Yeah, not for one microsecond. Because <laughs> I walked away from people who were the reverse of the people who I wanted to be with, who are, were full of nonsense and lies and bullying and that sort of thing. And I don't want to be around that, that atmosphere anymore. So I haven't regretted it for one microsecond. It's interesting, isn't it? Because originally that was the perfect hiding place. Yes. You know, you could hide, you wanted to hide, and it kind of required that anyway. And yep. so it, it was a great, great place. But then once you, you know, came out of your as it were <laughs> it, mm-hmm. how could you even go back in there would, I would have imagined even walking in the building would have felt like there was no oxygen yes absolutely and then and the, the, the nonsense of the day-to-day stuff meetings oh meetings were bad enough before but meetings were impossible afterwards because it's no like no one hugged you right <laughs> no one hugged in the meetings no oh no no that, well that was that was forbidden right <laughs> god Hugging in corporate is forbidden. Wow. Touching touching anybody in, the, in that sort of environment is actually a, a almost a dismissible offence. 
Don't even get me started on that. <laughs> oh, I won't. But, uh... So you walked away and were like, good riddance, burn it all down. And then and wasn't it, was it at the same time or near that time that you also up and moved? Yep. Yeah. Yep. I used to live some uh, around out of London. And yeah, London. London's was a good place to hide again. Mm. Big cities. London was a good place to hide again. And it didn't suit anymore. So I so I sold up and I didn't actually have anywhere to live for a bit. <laughs> so I moved down to the southwest near Bristol. Mm-hmm. And from living in a three-bed semi in, a, in basically a suburb of London, I now live on the edge of a river in a 200-year-old mill in an apartment. So so now I can sit in the morning on the window seat because I haven't got to get up for nine o'clock and head into the office and look at the river and look at the ducks and the woodpecker and the trees and see the seasons come and go. And I live in a part of the country now where people just seem to be an awful lot kinder and nicer, or maybe that's partly me. I don't know. Probably a little bit of both. Yeah. Yeah. It occurs to me, you know, you saying about you can sit in the window seat and look at the river and the animals that come and go and the trees and things. And, you know, I think a lot of people who are not yet on that path would be, well, why do you want to do that? You would have, you would have said that. Why? What am I I doing at nature? Yeah. Because to me now, that connection is lovely. It's gorgeous. It's to see the seasons come, to see the leaves break out on the trees, to see the ducks looking after the little ducklings. It's like it touches my heart again. Right. And you're absolutely right. The past me would have gone, oh, you're a weirdo, you're a hippie, or something like that. And the new bit of me that goes, you may be right. <laughs> and which would, I rather, which would I rather be? Would I rather sit here in the morning looking at the trees breaking out on the – no, the leaves breaking out on the trees – Oh, would I like to sit in my car in a traffic jam heading towards an office where I'm going to lie in meetings mm. or pretend I accept the corporate line? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's remarkable. Remarkable. Yeah. This is life. This is, I, I, I had another a little couple of phrases that my life changed from logic to love. That is beautiful. Yeah. And actually, what you said earlier, I noted down because I want to ask if I can quote you where you said that you thought love was just a way to sell a box of chocolates. Yeah. Mm. I remember you telling me that back in the day. Yeah. Like you meant it. Yeah, absolutely. I had seen no evidence of love. I, 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 you know, I didn't see any evidence of love in my family life, early family life. People were together, but they were together because being apart was more scary. Right. I was taken to church. And it was a done thing. Yeah. I didn't see any sign of love in church. Mm. None at all. People you know, talked about each other behind their backs and gossiped and like there was no evidence. So my little seven-year-old brain went, this love stuff is illogical. It's not true. You're making right. it up. Get it down. Yep. Mm. My other little saying is, is a bit more cheeky. It's, I changed from a happy git to, happy, to a miserable git to a happy bunny. Say it again. You change from a miserable git to a happy bunny. Right. I love it. Can you imagine again on that first day me saying, you're going to call yourself a happy bunny in a couple of years? <laughs> no chance. No <laughs> you, chance. You would have just closed the door and walked away. That's right. Mm. Yeah. 
And, you know, for me, the reason I keep going back to who you were in the beginning and who you are now, it's just so hard, isn't it, at the beginning? First of all, you can't know who you're going to become or how you're going to grow. You, you can't. No. It, you know, and to see your journey and to see you blossom. And, you know, I often talk about like, it's like going from black and white to technicolor in yourself and in your life. It's yes. just gorgeous, beautiful, amazing. And then even to go from, you know, shame around all this stuff. And you said there was shame at not having been sexual yet and all of that to now you're on a podcast talking about it. Yep. <laughs> talking about your journey. Yep. Awesome. And I, I, I have sex, I have a sex life now. It's great. It's fun. It's inventive. It's exploring. It's, yeah, yeah, that's great Thank stuff. You. <laughs> okay, so now I want to ask you. You know, there'll still be a lot of people out there and their own version of um, the situation you were in at the beginning. If you could tell them or tell yourself some advice, having walked the path and still walking the path and you know all its ups and downs and treachery and <laughs> all of that what advice would you give to yourself or to men that are still in that place go for it <laughs> to do it because you've got you've had here in this podcast an example of the alternatives the alternatives for me was it could well have ended up in in some horrible place some dark place even you know, becoming alcoholic or it's here where I live in this moment and it's beautiful. It's loving. And I receive love and give love. And I see people changing around me because of that love. One workshop I went, I, w I went to the facilitator said, you, I walked into the room and it felt like I filled the room with my heart. So yeah. these are the two choices. Why would you not go for the, for this one? You can get, you can be in this one place or you can take a risk. And life is all about risk. There is no certainty. Life's a risk. Becoming on this planet in the first place is a risk. Every time you just step out the door, it's a risk. Or don't step out of the door, it's a risk. So, yes, going and doing this work with you is a risk. But look at the possible, mm -hmm. look at the possible results, even from going on one session with you. Mm. There is a, there's a quote about this, so I can't remember who it's by at the moment, but it says, and the day came when the risk to remain tight in a bud, something like that, was more than the risk to blossom. Yes, I've read that quote. You might as well risk opening. You might as well risk love than stay shut. That's yeah. that, You're already dead, really. So there was, there was an alternative when I started this work with you where um, I could die in that place. Mm -hmm. unloved unlovable die on my own and where was my life where was living and it wasn't what i was prepared to accept the alternative was to go for something mm -hmm. and you sure did <laughs> <laughs> and the other piece of advice is i know other people would say i'm something special but no more special than everybody else if i can do this so can you mm -hmm. And it's yeah. one step at a time. Yeah. And it's important, I think, that people know that isn't all easy and the rolling out of a red carpet and all of that. Those moments are there, but, you know, this is about being authentic and true. And the truth is there's some, you know, painful shit. Do you yep. know, I remember um, 
in a group that I was, I think I was assisting and, and it was a new group opening and there was someone there who'd been there the previous year and they were going around the circle saying why they were there. And I've never forgotten this. This chap looked around at everybody really seriously. And he said, I, I did this work, this uh, group work last year, and it was relentlessly grim. <laughs> he said, but it was, he said it was the best damn thing I ever did. And that's why I'm back. And I was like, fuck, relentlessly grim, dude. Like, but sometimes it is, you know, the stuff that there's this, there's the reasons we've shut down. And then there's all the strategies on top of that, mm-hmm. you know, to hold them down. And sometimes they can just be cleared and you don't have to look at them all. Mm-hmm. And some of them you have to look at because there's a gift for you in it. Yep. I had this image of me as me in a fortress. If you can imagine a stone tower with iron bars at the at the windows and a portcullis at the door. And I was inside it and everything else was outside, this landscape and everybody. That was me in my fortress. I had armour and protection and nobody was getting through. Yeah, nobody was getting through. That's the trouble. Right. <laughs> and in the end, having done this grim, relentless, terrifying work, this fortress was destroyed. There were maybe bits of rubble and bent the odd bent bar lying in the landscape. Mm. And there was no way it could be rebuilt. But to knock it down was hard. Mm. And it wasn't done in a day. No, no, I don't recommend that. No, but it was done. Yeah. And now there's no living memory of it. I mean, well, there's memory, but there's no aliveness in it anymore. No, it'd be impossible to recreate it. It's little bits of stone and yeah, absolutely impossible. Why would I want to try? <laughs> and you wouldn't want to. No. Amazing. I tell you, you know, you've told your story a few times for me or on video or whatever, and it it never ceases to blast me open again. You know, it was just, um, well, I think I said this to you before we hit record that, you know, it's such a contrast from where you started to where you've ended up. and that you're also willing to share your journey um, is is just remarkable. And I'm so grateful to you. Well, I'm grateful for the opportunity because I'm not selfish about this change. If it would work and I could do it, I would grab men by the throat and force them to do this. <laughs> men, I mean, men are... to the work, but yes. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's not going to happen, but there were people I know who go, you need to do this. Go and do it. It's like, but I can't. So this is the only way I can show people what's possible. And your hugs. Yeah, yeah. And you could just go around hugging everyone. Let them know. <laughs> yeah, beautiful, amazing. I thank you for coming and sharing your story, and um, and your wisdom, and your vulnerability, and your truth. Yeah, that's my life. No. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Sexual Alchemy Podcast with Rebecca Lowry. If this podcast has aroused your curiosity and you'd like to take things further, you can get a copy of my free video training, Reclaiming Your Intuitive, Confident, Sensual Self. The link is in the show notes below, wherever you are listening.